Well, good morning, church. That was pretty weak. Can you guys hear me all right over there? Thumbs up. I'm, I'm not sure you could find any shade any further away from the stage than where you guys are at right over there, but you are closest to where the food's going to be. I do kind of get your, uh, your strategy there. Um, it's, it's great to be here. Um, it's great to be alive, isn't it? That was even weaker than the first one. Isn't it great to be alive? Now, uh, most of you probably know, or maybe you haven't been to church in a couple weeks and you really haven't missed me. I've been on vacation for the last couple weeks. And I knew coming into this week that I was going to have to hit the ground running. And uh, I hit the ground running, and about Wednesday, Thursday, fell right flat on my face. Um, Thursday ran a fever. Friday morning ran a fever. I actually called Ty and said, dude, you're going to have to preach for me this Sunday. And he's like, well, uh, okay, I could do that. And that's why it actually says Ty Desenfants in your worship folder, because as of Friday morning, he was preaching this morning. Um, Saturday morning, I called him and said, dude, how far are you? I think I feel okay compared to what I felt like before. I feel like Superman this morning, and I don't really feel like Superman this morning, but that day I did. Um, But there isn't anything uh, worse than not having your health, is there? I, I mean, I can think of very few things worse than not feeling good or not, not being well. Um, I know there's lots of people out there that deal with chronic pain every day. You, you, you have to face this pain. And, and I know there are uh, people in our world who uh, have diseases that there's no cure for. Um, there's nothing they can do uh, but suffer the effects of the disease that, that they have. Now, I know that... Uh, a fever and sinus congestion and all of that is pretty mild to all of that stuff, other stuff. And my wife would probably tell you that I'm pretty much a wimp when it comes to being sick. And, and she's pretty nice to me and pretty gracious uh, when I don't feel good. And I, I, you know, I love you for that, Sarah. You, you really were really nice to me this week, and I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, there's a lot of disease in our world. Um, and, and those people that have those diseases that are incurable, they're, they're in essence in bondage to it. Um, they, are, they are suffering and there is nothing that they can do to fix themselves. And that's what it is like to live this world without a savior, without Jesus Christ in our life. Um, we are in chains to our sin and without God we don't know any different. That's just what we know. And that's why today is such an incredible celebration. Today is a celebration of people, um, and many of us have already experienced baptism, of people who have experienced new life. They were once dead, and now they're alive. And that should bring a smile to all of our faces who are in Christ Jesus this morning, because in Christ Jesus, we are alive. We are no longer in bondage. We have been justified, and today we celebrate with those who will be baptized this incredible change that's occurred in their life. And it doesn't matter when you became a Christ follower, it is a great celebration today. And a great reminder for all of us what we have been saved from. And maybe there are some here today who are yet to be saved. Maybe, maybe you just happened to show up in the park today and, 
and you weren't even prepared to come, but, but God wants to speak to you, so he had you here in this place today for this very message that you're going to hear. Now, I did notice that a lot of you brought Bibles, and I'm glad that you did. If you would take those out and turn to the book of Ephesians, maybe if you didn't bring your Bible and there's somebody nearby that did bring one, you can eavesdrop on them a bit, but turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at 10 verses this morning. And I want to start out by reading the first three. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what God's word says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, I want to observe three realities from this passage this morning, and I, I hope that I can present these in a way that if you're not taking notes, you can maybe remember them this week. The first reality is obviously the bad news. Paul's very clear about this, but it's a reality nonetheless. It's the reality of sin. Now, we talk about sin a lot, and, and I think many of us recognize exactly what that is, but, but I'm not sure we often really understand how alive we are and how dead we once were. Um, Paul is speaking to Gentiles here in, in uh, Ephesians, and what he says is for us. Um, Paul says that we are dead. Um, and, and it's not just Gentiles. You know, there were probably a lot of people in that day that are like, I'm not a, I'm not a Gentile, and that's a letter to the Gentiles, so he's not really talking to me. But he's talking to everyone. He's talking to Jews too in verse 3. He says, all of us, all of us, including the Jews, this part of our human reality is true for everyone. Um, this isn't a case of those people over there or those people in Fort Laramie or Torrington or Yoder or another state. It's not for those people that live that way or it's just the Gentiles, or just the Jews, or just the Russians, or the Iranians, or the Nebraskans, or the Coloradoans, okay? It's not just them. This is true for all. The reality of sin is that it is our universal condition. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we're living in a broken world. Evil is around us. You don't have to turn on the news for very long to see that this world is very evil, there are children killing children. Um, there, there are young adults killing infants. I mean, it's horrific. I, I turned the news off this week because it just made me sick to see what some people are doing. But all of us, all of us have sinned. We are dead men and women walking, even though we all look alive, if we don't have Christ. If we don't have Christ. Without God, we are spiritually dead. Sin causes death in our lives. Paul says our transgressions and our sins. Another word there in your Bible may be trespasses. Trespass. In the Greek, that refers to a false step. It, it means either crossing of a known boundary or deviation from the right path. You know, the do not trespass, do not cross this line, many signs say. 
He says our trespasses and our sin, sin is missing the mark or falling short of a standard. That standard that God has for us is perfection. These two words cover the positive and the negative aspects or the active and passive aspects of human wrongdoing. In other words, our sins of commission and sins of omission. They are all included, ignorant or not. Without God, we are dead. Spiritually dead, we are alienated from him. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are, to, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will sur- surely die. That was the boundary. What did Adam and Eve do? They disobeyed. They crossed the known mark. They fell short. And ever since the fall, we've been living in disobedience. Verse 3, Paul says, All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings, of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. This dead state that we are in means that we live in disobedience to God. It's, it's very similar to someone who is living in rebellion to his or her parents, no matter what age they are. It's a very sad and empty place to be. It's also a place that we can be where we don't realize what we're doing. There are people who who don't know Christ, they're just living life because that's what they know. And they are in bondage to that way of life. It's contrary to what our creator's original plan was, and that puts us at at odds with God, Paul says. That makes us objects of wrath. Verse 3, like the rest, he says, "We we were by nature objects of wrath. There There is the nasty reality of sin in our life. And we must take it seriously and not minimize its natural and eternal consequences. Sin is real. Now that's the bad news. And if we were to stop there today, we could all go home depressed, trying to find other ways to encourage our lives. But that's not where we're ending and that's not where Paul ends. But without God, we are objects of wrath. We are lost. We are stuck. And that's a reality. And that's what makes today such an incredible celebration. Because as Paul continues in chapter 2, we come across two very incredible words. But God. But God. Ephesians 2.4 says, But because of his great love for us, God. But God. We were objects of his wrath, but God. We were in a state that deserves death, but God. Bound and influenced by evil, but God. So the first reality in our lives, in our world today is sin. And the death that sin causes. The second reality of life that we live in today is the reality of God's grace. The reality of God's grace. We were dead in our sin and trespasses, but God. We were living in disobedience, but God. We were sleeping around, getting drunk, telling lies, being angry with our brothers, stepping on people to climb the top of the corporate ladder, following our evil and selfish desires, and on and on and on and on. But God. But God. 
Why? Why, God? Why, why would you do this? Well, he did this because of his great love. It was because of the incredible love that God has, or better defined, that God is. That's why we are made alive in Christ. That's why he acts on his rich mercy. Moses was a murderer. David, King David, an adulterer and a murderer. Paul, a religious zealot and a murderer. God loved each of those men. God used each of those men. God has great love for us. God changed their lives and God changes our lives. Because of him, we are alive. Amen? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His love was so great that he made the sacrifice himself. And the amazing thing to me is that it's not because we deserved it. It's because he was merciful. Fortunately for us, God didn't wait for us to clean up our act. There's a lot of people that think, well, I'm going to straighten my life out and then I'll go to church or I'm going to, I got to make sure I'm not doing these things and then I'll surrender my life to Jesus Christ. But, but that's not the way God operates. If we look at verse four and five of Ephesians chapter two right here, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not a, if you do this, then I'll do this and then you'll be saved. It's, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to save you. That's how much God loves us. In John 15.13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He laid his life down, and as he did, Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our rescuer. At the end of verse 5 there, it says, It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. There's an author and speaker. His name is Brendan Manning. I've read a few of his books. Very powerful. A very changed life. And he has this amazing story about how he actually got the name Brennan. While growing up, his best friend, his best friend's name was Ray. And the two of them did everything together. Um, maybe some of you have a best friend like this. Um, while growing up, they bought a car together as teenagers. They double dated together. They went to school together and so forth and all of that. They even enlisted into the army together. One night while sitting in a foxhole, Brennan was reminiscing about the old days in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar and suddenly a live grenade came into the foxhole. Ray looked at Brennan, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray, but Brennan's life was spared. Later on in Brennan's life, he became a priest, and he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. 
and he thought of his friend Ray Brennan, so he took on the name Brennan. And years later, he went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn, and they sat up late one evening having tea. When Brennan asked Ray's mother, he said this, Do you think Ray loved me? Do you think Ray loved me? And Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch, shook her finger in front of Brennan's face, and shouted, What more could he have done for you? Brennan said that at that moment he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus, wondering, does God really love me? Does God really love me? And Jesus' mother, Mary, pointing to her son, saying, what more could he have done for you? What more could he have done for you? The cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could do for us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. So we don't need to wonder if God really loves us. We shouldn't ever ask that question. You shouldn't ever have to ask the question, are you important to God? Does God care about you? Could he have done anything more? No, he couldn't. His grace is a reality. And our third reality this morning is this. It's the reality of life in Christ. And I don't know really how to communicate this in a way other than just to rely on the Holy Spirit to to teach and, and illuminate this in each one of our lives here this morning. But the reality of our life in Christ, first of all, is that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast, Paul says in verse 9. We can't make it happen. We can't be good enough. We couldn't have enough good things on our resumes to be saved. We not only can't do it, but we don't deserve it to be done either. It's grace. Only by the grace of God are we saved. And what a gift that is. What an incredible, amazing gift. And we are in and when we are in Christ, that grace is a part of us. It is flourishing in our lives. We are alive. Saved by grace. Through faith, Paul says, this grace comes to us through faith, through our trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Through our faith. It's not from ourselves. It is a gift. God gives it to us. And, and as God molds and shapes us, our faith will continue to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And then finally in verse 10, Paul says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look at that word right there. For we are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. You really are. You know, really, we're not just one of six billion people, or we're not just one of a billion, however many 
Christians there are, how many people, people whose names have been written in the book of life. We are not a number. We are individually important to God. The, the Bible says that, 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 that the numbers of hairs on each one of our heads here today are counted, that he knows how many are there. And I realize that's less difficult on some than it is on others. But he knows. Maybe, maybe for some of you who you know, are missing some hair, maybe he knows how many should be there. Exactly. But see, we are God's workmanship. We, we, we as individuals have each been placed on God's easel. And, and he is working and painting and creating and crafting a masterpiece. And to me, that's an amazing picture that Paul uses here. That, that we are God's workmanship. We can't claim these changes on our own. It's God's work. And at the same time, we need to ask ourselves, are there changes that are occurring in my life? And is there proof of genuine faith and grace in my life? And as we find this proof, we can be excited in the fact that just as an artist works skillfully on a piece of art, you've heard the saying, right? The Sistine Chapel wasn't painted in a day. No, you haven't. Oh, that's right. That was Rome wasn't built in a day. But it's the same point, right? It took a long time to paint the Sistine Chapel, didn't it? Who, who painted it? Michelangelo. And didn't he go blind painting the Sistine Chapel? Is that true? Because it was so dark in there, and, and he had to be so close to the ceiling. to I, I just can't imagine. And I, has anybody ever seen the Sistine Chapel? Anybody here? I see some hands out there. Incredible. Was it incredible? I can't hear you. Yes, it was. Okay. I can't imagine the amazing masterpiece that that is. And that is exactly what God is doing in your life and in my life. He is painting and he is creating this beautiful painting to his glory. Uh, Recently, there was a firefighter in a church that was told by one of his colleagues, a fellow fireman, that belief in Jesus was for weak people. And I find that ironic coming from a firefighter, actually. Um, We have a fire hydrant across from the street at our house, and I have never looked at that fire hydrant and felt any shame. Um, I drive by a firehouse almost every day, and I never think to myself, if this community didn't have weak people, we would never need firehouses. And when I pay my property taxes, taxes that help finance the fire departments, I never get angry at myself thinking if I could just handle fires on my own, I wouldn't have to write such a big check. Imagine a person whose house is on fire and the fire is raging out of control and soon a fire truck pulls up, sirens blaring, and the person runs out of their house in a rage and says, how dare you come to my house and think that I can't handle this fire on myself? Firefighters are for weak people, not for me. What would you think of someone like that? Maybe they had really good insurance on their house. I don't know. You would think that they were crazy. This fire department is here to help you. We know that fire departments aren't for weak 
people because a power exists that we simply can't deal with on our own, and that's fire. And we have a group of men and women who have committed themselves to take on the power of fire at personal expense. It has nothing to do with our, our weakness as human beings. So I think Christians are weak in the same sense that a community is weak for having fire departments. We are people who acknowledge that a power exists that we can't confront and live, and that's the holiness of God. This, however, is not cause for shame, but there was a man, Jesus, who dealt with that power at his own personal expense on a cross. And as Christians, we are rescued from the flames. We're not thinking about our weakness, though Satan would want us to. We're overjoyed that someone would risk it all to save us. And that's why we can say today, if we are in Christ Jesus, that we are alive. We are alive, and those that are being baptized today are proclaiming this life that they have. They are showing outwardly what's happened to their life inwardly. Now before I close, I want to say just a couple things about baptism. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Several things that are true in that statement right there. One is that Jesus is with us and continues to be with us as we are not to the end of the age yet. Jesus says we are to go and make disciples. We are to proclaim the good news to people. Outside of the church, and even not just outside of the church building, but outside of the church as this gathering and fellowship of people. To those that we work with, and then those that we uh, visit with at the park when we take our kids, and, and those that we go to school with. Go and make disciples. And then Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded it. He said, this is what you're to do. I don't think he suggests it as a good idea. I don't think he says anything that, that sort of says, well, if you kind of get around to it one day, maybe you should do this. He says, that's what we're to do. Make disciples and baptize them. In his final words on earth before ascending into heaven, Jesus said, this is what we're to do. And we are baptized as disciples, as believers. He commanded it. We're all baptized as believers, and, and it's symbolic. Um, I've used this illustration a lot, but it is such a good one. I think Ty, Pastor Ty was the first one to, to tell me about it. And that's when, those of you who are married today, when you look at that wedding ring on your finger, and whenever I do a wedding ceremony, the couples vow to each other to wear that wedding ring. Why? Why do they need to wear that wedding ring? They need to wear that wedding ring to proclaim to everyone around them, at work, at school, in line at Walmart, that they're married, that they have committed themselves to another person. Now, if they were to take that wedding ring off, does it mean that they're not married? No. They still stood before a pastor in front of a church and committed their lives to one another. It's a symbol 
A very necessary one, I believe. A very powerful one. Baptism is a symbol. It symbolizes something that's already occurred in those who go into the water. Baptism is not about salvation. Baptism does not save us. It is not the way we get to heaven. Baptism is not about salvation. It's about identification. It's saying, I belong to you, Jesus. I have received the gift of salvation, and now I'm going to take this step that you want me to take. It says to the world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful picture as I was talking to several of the people this week looking at the symbol of baptism and, and if, you, if you think about Jesus and his crucifixion and him being placed in a tomb taking on the sin of the world and then rising again conquering sin and death and you think about baptism and you think about the person going under the water representing before they representing again symbolizing them Sinful and going under, being buried with Christ as Christ and then coming up clean, cleansed, alive. That's the symbol of baptism. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I've never received Jesus as my Savior. I have never given up control of my life and turned it over to Jesus. Um, maybe this is the first you've heard it. Maybe this is, maybe you've heard it many times. And here this morning you're, you're, you're thinking and the Holy Spirit's been working in your life and you're recognizing the darkness that's in your life and the bondage that you're in. And, and you're sensing the call of God on your life and, and I would encourage you to respond to that and give it up. Now, if we could, I'd just like everybody to close your eyes, and I, I want you to just reflect on your own life and ask the Holy Spirit to confirm in your heart, in your mind, your faith, your salvation. And, and if what you're hearing this morning is Surrender your life to me. I would encourage you to do that. The Bible says that those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus is Lord, that they will be saved. Why don't you do that right now? Why don't you confess your attempts to live your own life? Just communicate that to Jesus right now. Repent of all the pride and the poor decisions and the sin that's in your life. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to purify your heart, to purify your mind, to purify your soul. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God. He is who he says he is in the scripture. And give him control of everything. Turn it all over. And I want you to thank him now for adopting you into his family and for saving you.
for rescuing you. And for those who are Christ followers, and maybe there's something else that's happening in your heart and in your mind, and the Holy Spirit is pricking you with something else. Maybe there's something that you need to confess to another person. Maybe there's something that you need to repent to him. This morning you've let something, you've chosen something in your life and you're beginning to be comfortable with that sin. And he's showing you this morning that he wants you to repent, to turn away from it. Repent that to him this morning. Take advantage of this opportunity this morning. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Thank him for the grace and mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in our hearts and our minds this morning, the hearts and the minds of our church. Lord, may we continue to submit ourselves to you and to your authority and serve you each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you received Christ this morning for the first time, I would encourage you to tell someone. Write it, well, I have in here, write it on your Connect card, but we already picked all those up, so you can't do that, I guess. But tell someone, tell a neighbor, tell a friend. Maybe somebody brought you to church this morning, and you can tell them, and they can help you. Um, I would love to have a conversation with you and to pray with you. And now, before the worship team comes up, as I close this morning, I want to make it very clear who needs to be baptized. we, We have six folks who I've talked to, um, I, I, I've confirmed to, to, to my best human ability to uh, confirm their profession of faith, and they're declaring to all of us publicly this morning that they are choosing Christ, that they are going to follow him faithfully for the rest of their life, and they are identifying with him. But maybe you came here this morning expecting to watch and celebrate with those who are going to be baptized, and you are. We are going to celebrate with them. We're going to cheer wildly as they go under and come up out of the water, identifying with Jesus Christ. But maybe now you're wondering, you know, I came dry, but now I'm wondering if maybe I should leave wet. So who needs to, who needs to be baptized? I, just a couple, couple simple things. Um, because if there is someone here today who you've been kind of wishy-washy or You've heard the message this morning and you're like, you know what? I need to identify with Christ. I need to follow him in obedience and I need to get into that water. Um, just a couple things. First of all, this morning, I, I'm not going to baptize any children who I haven't already spoken to and spent a little bit of time with. So if you're under middle school age, um, today would not be the day for you to be baptized. Um, so only middle school and up. And if you are in middle school and older, I want you to have a, a conversation with your parents here this morning. And parents, I, I want to rely on you. Um, if your son or daughter says that they want to be baptized this morning, maybe they could tell you right now or as we go in, and you can confirm to them that, that they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and that they do fully understand what baptism is, that it's identifying. It's like, 
It's like putting on the jersey of the family of God, right? Um, whenever, whenever a team gets a big player, they have this big press conference. All the cameras and they interview. And what does that person do? They hold up their new jersey of their new team. This morning we're putting on team jerseys. So students, be respectful and obedient to your parents. But parents, if you have students who are a Christ follower, then they ought to be baptized. Um, I want to encourage you that if you are a Christ follower committed to serve and follow Jesus for the rest of your life and you've never been baptized, why not today? Why not today? I was talking to one person who's going to be baptized and I asked him uh, before the service and I asked him if he brought another set of clothes and he said, I'm not really sure that I'm going to want to put on another set. I think once I get wet, I'm going to be cooler than everyone else and I'm just going to want to stay that way. I have extra towels. I didn't bring extra underwear. But I have extra towels. So I want to encourage you today, if you are a Christ follower and you've never been baptized, consider getting into the water. And then finally, here's a do not. Do not get baptized today because one of your friends are being baptized or because somebody that you know and there's a little bit of peer pressure there, don't you dare come forward into the water because you think it's the cool thing to do or because you don't want to be left out. Be sure you are doing it out of obedience to Jesus, not because of guilt or emotion or peer pressure. Now I'm going to pray and uh, Ty and the worship team is going to come up and they're going to do a song and we're going to sing and... uh, either towards the end of the song or during, however Ty wants to do it, he's going to have us all go in to the pool there. The doors on this side, all go in, kind of stand around the pool. I know you guys are kind of over in the corner because you think you're just going to look in through the fence, and that's okay. Um, just make sure that you have a good view, and, uh, and we'll celebrate with these folks that are going to be baptized this morning. So let's pray. Lord Jesus. I just thank you for making us alive. And Father, I, I guess I, I would pray that, that we would all recognize the darkness and the lostness that, that was a part of our life before you came and changed it. And Father, I want to pray that um, there would just be an overflowing of joy today because uh, we realize that that you are our savior. That you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Lord, what, what an amazing savior you are. That we could be alive. And may we celebrate that in our hearts and our minds and with our voices. May we celebrate with those today who go in the water and are baptized. And Father, I too want to just pray that if there are any folks here today who didn't come planning on getting wet, but it is something that you want them to do today, I pray, Lord, that you would confirm it in their hearts and that they would take that step. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you and we celebrate you. For we are alive in Jesus' name, amen.